Where you do what you do matters. I think a lot of the times we consider or set goals for what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, but we're not putting enough thought or effort into where we're going to do it. And in today's podcast episode, I'm very excited to share with you some ideas on environmental design, because if you can create a space for where you're going to read, write, and think, that activity will become more meaningful and purposeful in your life. Let's get into it. Welcome to this week's episode of the Read Well Podcast. My name is Eddie Hood, and I'm your host, where I believe it's more important to read well than to be well-read. So grab your favorite book, open up your notes, and let's get ready to learn something fascinating. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Read Well Podcast. And this particular episode is very meaningful to me because my entire life, I have been fascinated by spaces. When I walk into a specific room, I have a specific feeling tailored by that environment. And I want to play on that today and really dig into the idea of building our own space for reading, writing, and thinking, because often the world is designed to pull us out of those activities, to distract us, to keep us from doing the things that we truly love. So what would happen if we took some time and money and made a place just for us to read, write, and think. And that's in fact what I've been doing over the past couple weeks. And I'll walk you into the story here in just a little bit. I'm currently, for the first time ever, recording this podcast episode in the new headquarters for the Readwell podcast. I'm so excited. But before we get into that, I wanna take you back to many, many years ago. This would be, what, 1997? And I am a 17-year-old kid at the time, and I am fascinated by the idea of having my own place to read books. And I see this in my own kids now. I have a a nine-year-old son. All my kids love to read. Of course, that's what we do in the Hood household. But my kids love to read, and my nine-year-old boy loves to make forts anywhere in the house where he, you know, he'll make these little like sort of portable reading rooms. He'll put the chairs up and the blankets up and then he'll stack up his books in there and he'll get his little notepad and he'll spend hours under his fort reading his books. And it makes me think of what it was like when I was a kid because I used to do the same thing. So let's go back to 1997 when I'm 17 years old and I get this idea that, you know what, I need a place to think. And it was a really poignant time in my life because I felt somewhat pushed and pulled in lots of different directions. I was trying to figure life out. I was about to graduate high school within the next year and I needed to know what I was going to do for the future. And I had just, I had this really weird dichotomy of friends. I had a group of friends that were, you know, really good, clean cut friends. And then I had another group of friends that were not. And so I was always being pulled in different directions trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I'm grateful to say I picked hanging out with the good friends and uh, that has made a huge difference in my life. But at that time I felt very confused and and having a space where I could go to just hide from everything, hide from these people, hide from the requirements of life and just be with my book for a few minutes really meant something to me. And so that's what I did. Now, mom and I lived in one of those trailer parks. We didn't have a lot of money and it was just me and mom and she had to be gone most of the day to earn income to pay for our home. So it was often just me in this trailer, and I had a room in the back of the trailer that was my bedroom. It was a pretty big room, to be quite honest, and it had a closet with those sliding doors. Uh, It wasn't the kind of doors that you would open, they would slide open, and it revealed a closet that was rather shallow. 
just deep enough, in fact, for me to sort of sit in, you know, shoulder to shoulder and close the door. And I, you know, I had this brilliant idea that that could be my reading room. So I don't know that most 17 year olds were doing this kind of thing, but I was, it spoke to me and <laughs> I really needed a place. So I got my pillows and I stacked them up in my closet. Well, first of all, I had to clean the closet out. It was not a beacon of organization. I'm ashamed to say there was lots of dirty clothes and stacked up whatever memories of life. Pulled all of that out, threw a lot of it away. It took me quite a while, I remember doing this. And I put in my pillow and a couple blankets and then I got my 10 favorite books and I set them in there with a lamp. And I remember going into the closet for the first time and kind of getting set up in there and sliding that closet door closed and turning on the lamp. And I had entered a new world. It was a space that nobody knew about. It was a space that was just for me and I could focus on nothing but the book in my hand. And it was this really incredible feeling that I had, I had discovered something, I had created something, and that has always stuck with me. Now, in 2016, a new book came out, and I didn't know about it at the time. I only got a hold of it a few years ago, but a gentleman named Cal Newport, who is a professor, wrote a book called Deep Work, and this is not his first book. In fact, he makes most of his living being a writer, and he has a really fantastic podcast I encourage you to listen to. It's called Deep Questions. But he's really built a career for himself on this idea of doing deep work, based off the title of this book I now hold in my hands. The first time I read Deep Work, it completely shook me because it spoke to that 17-year-old person in my heart, the person who always wanted a reading room, a place to go, because in here he describes that we should have a place where we can be set apart from the world to do our best work. Let me just read a passage to you from this book. He says, to produce at your peak level, you need to work for extended periods with full concentration on a single task, free from distraction. Put another way, the type of work that optimizes your performance is deep work. And he goes throughout this book giving you several examples of how and uh, why many people in life, from Carl Jung to, uh, honestly, I can't remember all the examples now, but people that have created their own deep work headquarters. That's the term he came up with, deep work headquarters. And it, it just spoke to me and I took a thousand notes in this book and it really changed my life. I read this in COVID and the reason why I found it so profound is because I, at the time, had just closed down my physical office space for my accounting firm. We used to have a headquarters here in Utah where everybody would come to work and uh, be with each other every day. Well, that changed with COVID and we closed our office space and we all learned to become a virtual company and work from home, which, you know, has its benefits, but the challenge there was I was now surrounded by my children coming and going and always needing dad to help them with something. There's always a project needing to be taken care of at home and quite honestly there are many distractions. The biggest being the fact that just a few feet away is the fridge and the pantry full of lots of delicious treats. Well I remember sitting down on my couch and reading this book and I read the whole thing in one sitting. It just it blew my mind and let's see how many pages is this. Um, this isn't to say I'm not bragging saying I read a, a book in one sitting, but it's, it's about 263 pages. I just couldn't stop reading the thing because it was, it was speaking to me and something I needed in my life at the time. You know, again, that's a, just a place to go and work. So if you're interested in doing this for yourself and building your own reading room, which we'll get into in just a minute here, 
A great place to start in order to find some inspiration is to pick up Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. So I did what I do best and I looked throughout my house for a place that I could call my own. And it was hard, right? Because we just didn't have a lot of extra space to give up for dad to have a home office or a reading room. And we, we have plenty of space in our home, but it was already being taken up by things that we had uh, defined for the family. So I had learned for the first year of COVID to just work at the kitchen table and that, that had gone, you know, I thought, okay, but looking back in hindsight, it was miserable. So when you go down into my basement, my son, my oldest son has a bedroom. It's a pretty decent sized bedroom and he has a closet. And then there is also another little storage room off of his bedroom. It's a really weird design concept. I don't know why they did that. But you walk in, you see two doors in his room, a closet and a storage room. And that storage room had a whole bunch. It was completely unfinished. It was cement and wood and spiders and cobwebs and everything. And I remember walking down there, standing in that room and looking at all of the stuff we had on the shelves and saying to myself, you know what? Most of this stuff is garbage. We don't ever use it. We're just holding onto it. We're just storing it. I'm gonna make this space my reading room. And so that's what I did. I turned that room into kind of a cubby hole just for me to do work and to read books. And it was great. There were a few problems though. <laughs> uh, if you've seen my early YouTube videos, you uh, have been in that room with me. Any video I have with all those like books behind me and I'm always complaining about how small the room is, that's the room. And it, it was a challenge because the room had no windows and you literally could touch the walls if you stuck out your hands. It was, it was no bigger than really a closet. So I couldn't help but laugh because my first reading room was a closet in my 17-year-old bedroom. And now my second reading room is pretty much a closet in my 19-year-old's bedroom. So <laughs> I seem to have a pattern going on, but I, I lived in that room for a good year and a half, almost two years working every day. And it was interesting because I couldn't really get the best work done because I would get headaches in there. I think it was because the air was stale or I just felt claustrophobic, I don't know. But I did go there daily and I did look forward to that time because it was my space and it was absolutely worth the investment. Hey everyone, I wanna take just a quick second in the middle of this podcast to tell you about Highlightish.com. Think of highlighting a book, but add I-S-H at the end. Highlightish.com is the tool that I use to make better book notes and to organize my writing. It's where I go to capture my favorite passages, annotate them, and then to turn that research into essays, blog posts, or research papers. If you're someone that wants to get more out of the books that you love and you wanna turn that into great output, go to Highlightish.com today. Thanks for listening and let's get back to the show. Now that brings us to today. Today I'm in a new building. That's where I'm at. I'm in an office space. Just a few weeks ago, I decided that I wanted to invest in a bigger area, a bigger headquarters, not only for the Readwell podcast so that I could shoot these episodes in an actually a contained environment, but also so that I could set up YouTube studios and have a library and do my reading and thinking. And so I feel very blessed to have this space. I get that most people are not going to want to go out and lease office space to do so. And so I don't, I'm not encouraging you to do that. What I am encouraging you to do is to listen to the tips that I have here on building a reading room because I've learned a few things over the years as to what makes these spaces work and what makes them uncomfortable. We'll just say that. And I'm hoping that as we chat today and you begin to think about either your current reading room or perhaps building one for yourself, 
how you can incorporate these tips to make it the best it can possibly be. Okay, so the first thing we need to think about if you're going to build a reading room, and this is where I'm at right now with the headquarters of the Readable Podcast, is the actual visual feeling it gives you when you walk into the room. I think environmental design is fascinating. The idea that an environment itself can make you feel a certain way. Now, think about it. If you walk into, let's say, Fenway Park in Boston, you go into that baseball stadium, what are the feelings that come to mind for you? You might feel a sense of excitement, a sense of play, you know, a sense of competitiveness, whatever. If you walk down a dark alley in New York City at night, you probably would feel something different. You might feel a sense of apprehension, uh, a sense of fear, uh, you might have the hair on the back of your neck stand up a little bit because you don't know what you don't know in that environment. And if you walk into a beautiful bookstore, what feelings would you feel there? You might feel a sense of wonder, uh, enchantment, excitement, curiosity, and the desire to learn something new. That's what we're going for here when we're creating your reading room. It really needs to first and foremost give you a visual cue of what you should feel when you're in that space. My favorite way to do that, and this is no big secret, but it's a fun thing to do, is to actually paint the walls. And I think you need to pick a color that speaks to you and the mood that you're trying to set. So there is no right feel for a reading room. It really is something that needs to work for your own personality. Some people are very bright and they want, you know, yellows or turquoise colors on the wall or they want bright white walls and, and what have you. Other people are gonna be more moody and they're gonna want dark grays or dark purples or whatever. I'm definitely the more moody person. But whatever the sense is, paint is going to be the foundation for your reading room. So let's start there and start to analyze the color that gives you the feeling you're after. Along with the paint, you're gonna want some additional visuals to sort of push that feeling further down the line. Uh, this could come in the form of, of course, artwork, specific decorations that are going to um, promote the feeling that you have. And uh, you know, if you're like me, my reading room, I want it to be a place where I can go and do some deep study, much like Cal Newport suggests in his book, Deep Work. I wanna go into a reading room and not feel lazy. I don't want to feel like, oh, this is super cozy and I'm just gonna like curl up with a good book. I'm not that kind of reader. I'm not speaking down to that form of reading at all. I think it's fantastic. It's just not how I read books. For me, I'm much more of a note taking, sitting at a desk, trying to understand a concept kind of reader. So when I walk into a reading room myself, I want to feel like this is a place I'm going to learn something new. So yeah, a reading room for me probably wouldn't have a big fireplace. It would probably have a nice desk and some organization to it with a really nice looking leather bound journal and some pens as an example. My wife is really good at this whole visual thing. She is like interior designer queen and she's able to sort of put mood boards together. And she asks me to do this whenever I create a new space and I don't want to do it because <laughs> I'm lazy. But then when I do it, I'm like, wow, this is really great. So she has me, of course, go to Home Depot, get some paint cards for colors I think are going to work. And then she has me cut out pictures of furniture from Amazon that I think I'm gonna wanna put in the room and some artwork and you just lay it out on the table, put it all together and see how it looks before you spend a dollar of your own money on this thing. It really is an afternoon of work that will save you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars and time spent 
in building this room for yourself. Okay, the second tip that I really wanna focus on is giving yourself a place to do the reading. So you need to understand if you are a desk reader or a chair reader, and I think we all work a little differently, but as I mentioned before, I'm the kind of guy that needs a desk, a big flat space where I can lay my book out, I can lay my highlighters out, my notes out, and I can really uh, think. I, I want to be triggered to be a student. So a desk makes a lot of sense for me. A desk might not make sense for you. If your style of reading is not so much to dig into philosophy or some kind of nonfiction, but rather to dig into a fantastic Agatha Christie novel or what have you, you might not need a desk for that. Again, you might just want a nice big leather bound chair with some pillows and what have you. So you really wanna pick the center of your reading room next before you go crazy with it. Will it be a big cushy chair or will it be a big flat desk? Lighting is going to be the next element that I want you to think about because lighting is uh, how you are going to interface with your book. Bad lighting is going to hurt your eyes and it's going to make reading your book impossible. So we want to avoid the standard lighting that comes in office type situations, the big tube lights that are kind of hard on the eyes. I'm not a lighting expert, so I can't remember if that's incandescent or whatever, but you know what I'm talking about, the lights that just kind of hurt. So if you can have um, some windows in your reading room where you can sit and have some natural light coming in, that's going to be a fantastic experience as a reader. But if not, you can always invest in some nice quality lights that are honestly not that expensive. You can find some on Amazon. I, I've actually just filled my reading room here. This whole headquarters has lights everywhere for the YouTube studio and for shooting. And I like these lights because when I turn off the office lights overhead and I turn these on, it's like the strain in my eyes goes away and I'm able to just sort of relax and calm down. And it's nice because you can play with the temperature of the light or the color of the light. You can make it more blue or more yellow, whatever suits you and how you like to read. But don't forget the ambient lighting in the room, the mood lighting. We wanna make sure one, that you have enough good lighting that you can see the words on the page, but two, that you have the kind of mood lighting that you wanna set for yourself. So when you walk into your reading room and you flip on a switch, you want all of these lights to kind of turn on and it will create a sense in you of, again, wonder or curiosity or whatever you're going for. And if you can get a couple nice lamps or some Christmas lights, I've been buying these LED strips on Amazon that I can kind of put up against the wall and I can change the color of them to set the mood that I'm in. Sometimes I'm in a happy, excited mood. Sometimes I'm in a more somber mood and you can just adjust the colors to fill the day out, essentially. Now the fourth tip and the last tip I wanna share with you about building a reading room is that there are going to be times where you'll want to share the space with other people. It's nice to be able to have your kids come in and read a book with you at times. This shouldn't be a place just for you, although it is your space. If you can design a few elements in your reading room, if you have enough of an area to do this, for example, I've put in a big giant bean bag in the headquarters here of the Readwell podcast so that when my nine-year-old son comes to visit, he can sit there and he can read his book and it will be an enjoyable experience. So yes, think about who might be with you at times and how you can make them comfortable. And this is an interesting conversation because you want them to know that they're welcome, but you also want them to know that this is a special space where we're going to be reading, thinking, and writing. This is not a space where we're going to be playing the Switch and playing, you know, Super Mario Brothers or whatever and having all of those weird noises in the background. It needs to be a place 
that is dedicated to this cause. Now, if you are interested in building your own reading room and following along on my journey as I build my own, don't forget to go to thereadwellpodcast.com where you can subscribe to my focus letter. Now, I don't call these things newsletters. I call them focus letters for a very specific reason because if I'm going to send you an email, my job is to make sure that both you and I stay focused on one thing, building better reading habits. So. I work very hard not to fill that up with an amalgamation of ads or distractions. It's just a weekly message about spending time with the books that you love. And if you want to follow along with the journey, like I say, that's the best place to do it. Go to the readwellpodcast.com, click subscribe up in the top corner, and uh, we'll be connected. All right, thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next show. If you'd like to take your reading to the next level, then head on over to our website at thereadwellpodcast.com. There you can get access to my weekly newsletter as well as up-to-date show information. Also, don't forget that I learned software development on the side just so that I could build a program to help us make better book notes as we read. If you're interested, go to highlightish.com. Think of highlighting a book, but add ish, I-S-H, at the end. Highlightish.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you on the next show.